Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I am joined by Mark Strutner. Mark is the VP of Global Sales of Skyline ATS, who are a leading provider of advanced technology adoption, utilization, and enablement solutions. And before that, he was VP Worldwide Sales of Lastline, who are now part of VMware, and successfully led sales teams at early stage cybersecurity vendors, such as Resolution One, who are acquired by Fidelis, Vericode, who are acquired by CA, and ArcSite, who are acquired by HP and are now part of Microfocus. And before his time in sales leadership, Mark had a glittering sales career at organizations such as Symantec, IBM, and Oracle. And I'm delighted he's given up his time to come and talk to us here in the conference room. Mark Strutner, good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon. Happy to be here. Good to see you, Simon. Thank you. You too. So every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how did you get from just starting out in sales to leading the global sales effort of Skyline ATS? Wow. So how much time do you have? I guess (laughs) I'll try to condense it for you a little bit. I was an individual contributor for many, many years and was uh, successful at it and enjoyed it. But typically what people do is they'll often take their successful individual contributors and move them into management. I bucked it for a long time, but eventually there's several reasons for that. But once you get into it, you become a little bit addicted to it. And there are other benefits, you know, to doing that. Some are financial, some are not financial or esoteric. That's how I got to that role. And once I got into the leadership roles, I kind of continued to do that was morphed into the security space, not by design, but kind of by default years ago. And it's just continued to go on and progress. Right. Great stuff. One of the things that really kind of came out as I was researching your background, you and I have known each other for a long time, but sometimes when you kind of look at something with kind of the benefit of distance, it really kind of occurred to me that your career almost seems to have, and certainly the summary that I laid out, certainly seems to have almost two elements to it, where your sales career was, seems predominantly to have been with large companies, IBM, albeit you came into IBM from the Tivoli acquisition, Oracle and Symantec. And yet your sales leadership position seems to have gravitated more towards kind of early stage and startup companies. Okay. So I'm curious whether that's kind of been by accident or by design, or whether you see value from, if you like, an apprenticeship at larger companies that has given you something that has helped you be so successful in these smaller organizations. So what do you feel about that? A good observation. That is actually true. There are advantages to both and you learn in both environments. It's interesting. The large companies want you to act like a small startup and more entrepreneurial. And the small startups and the entrepreneurs often want you to act like a big company. And so it's good to have a little bit of both. You can also see what works and what doesn't work, where the mistakes are made and where you know where you should do certain things and not do certain things. When you've been in both, because you have the advantage of seeing how things work out, you get exposed to just different modalities and different things that work, be it in marketing, be it finance, be it development, be it in pre-sales, sales. You get exposed to different ways of doing things in the startup, which is, you know, 
know, zero to 20 million or where you're going in and you're doing an expansion at a half billion, billion dollar company. So what would you say are the primary things that kind of young Mark Struttner learned at Symantec, IBM, Oracle that have really helped you as the sales leader at these smaller organizations? I think you get a good sense for the processes that are productive and those that are just create consternation in particular for sales teams. And you can take the, the best of those and implement them in the more entrepreneurial environment. You cannot take big you know, IBM processes and bring them into a small entrepreneurial environment. It just clogs the wheels and it's very hard to do cookie cutter, take it in. You have to take the best pieces of it. You'll get a lot of pushback from the horses if you do. In what respect? Can you give me perhaps an example of where you've seen that kind of not work out? Yeah, I guess there's some, for example, where you have to meet and forecast every day is some companies, large companies. You just can't do that. You don't have the time to do that in a small startup. However, if you take something like a Salesforce, that is put in place in a large organization. You're going to have a different instance than you would at an entrepreneurial company. It'll be a different instance of Salesforce. You'll have different tracking mechanisms and metrics and things that you do. So you can't necessarily just take that instance that you have at a Symantec or an IBM and plug it in at a Veracode or you know, a last line. Right. Okay. So as you developed your own sales leadership career, did you find that you were looking for people whose own background was similar to your own, as in they'd work for larger companies and then come into smaller companies? Or was that less important than other factors when you were looking to build your own teams? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of the athlete teaching the game, but I do look for folks that have, you know, the aptitude to be able to assimilate the technology, uh, make sense of it, be able to communicate it. And you can generally see that after you've done this for as long as I have. By looking at their paper, their resumes and like, and then after you chat with them a couple of times, you get a pretty good feeling whether it makes sense to spend more time with them or not and, and dig into that. And we'll dig into that in just a minute in terms of like how you determine whether or not someone's any good in an interview. But kind of taking that one stage back, what for you, are the primary things that you do look for? I mean, you talked about hire the athlete and teach them the game. What to you makes a good athlete? Yeah, it, it depends on the specific situation, but from a DNA perspective, it's someone that's got the aptitude to be able to do it for in another environment. They know how to be a self-starter. They can come in and, and make things happen, be it slicing a territory, determining where to spend their time, what's important, what's not important, and actually can actually run a business. Because let's face it, all these folks that are in the field who are the most important folks that we have that are, we call them individual contributors, but they're running the business. Everything rolls up if you set things up correctly. They're running a business and can they do that? And if it's somebody, you know, that you have to babysit all the time, that's a different model. So then how do you measure that or how do you determine whether or not someone actually can do that? I mean, we've both been in this game long enough to know that very often you'll read a resume and you may even in an interview or even hire somebody, but it doesn't just translate. You know, the real person doesn't match up to what was claimed or promised in the resume. So how do you go about determining whether or not the person you're interviewing is as good as the resume you read? Sure. And we are hiring salespeople, right? Yeah. <laughs> One of the first it's things in it, game. it's part of it. And what I think some folks don't realize is that they are actually in a sales process when they're interviewing, right? And I'm pretty keen on that because it is a key indicator of what's going to happen when they engage with my customers, right? And how are you going to manage that process? And are you proactive? And are you following up, you know, timely and asking the right questions? So you get a good sense from their background, be their experiences, which you can go into. And then the the questions that they tend to ask will give you a good indication. Do we get it? You know, do you bat a thousand? No, nobody does. You're going to make some mistakes. Again, these are good folks and they're, they're selling themselves in general. So that's how I do it. 
And of course, you know, I mean, you know enough people in the business where you can get a back channel pretty quick. Yeah. Not just get a read on them in the room, but also find out who you know, who they know, and get a bit of an angle on whether or not they really have been as good as they say they are. You can get an independent verification of whether or not they're as good as they claim to be. Absolutely. Yeah. So once you've actually got your team built, what are the key things that you do to motivate and get the best out of your guys? Oh boy, there's a whole host of things. And it depends sometimes on the individual as well. But we generally want to have you know, the mission statement. What are we trying to achieve as a company? Is it revenue generation? Is it market share? Is it a combination of the two or, or other things? You know, There's culture building. There's a whole host of things that go into that. But I think uh, one of the things that I hope to achieve is I mean, we're not getting married forever. Uh, this person's going to likely go somewhere else. My job is to create an environment where that person is more marketable. They're better at what they do. They're better educated and they can make more money for themselves and their family down the road. Yet we're still serving you know, the company and our customers and meeting that objective at the corporate level. So that's a big part of it. And I try to make sure that what their personal and professional goals and objectives are kind of mesh with what we're trying to do at the corporate level, which goes down to the region level, which goes down to the contributor level. And if there's what I call sand in the gears, you know, we're not quite aligned. Let's get the sand out. If we can't get the sand out of the gears and it's just going to be a rough, rough road, let's call it earlier rather than later. It's, it's got to work both ways. It has to work for both the company and what we're trying to achieve and what it is that the individual wants to achieve. So I think people actually like that. I've had people that I've had to let go that say, hey, that's the best boss I've ever had. I've had other people that have worked for me five times at five different companies. But if you really take an interest in them, I think you get a lot more in the performance. Uh, out. And then going back to what I talked about earlier, hey, they're running a business. Johnny runs it different than Susie, than Kathy. Some may be motivated by plaques. Some are motivated by money. Some are motivated by you know, work-life balance. You have to be able to, particularly in this environment, work to those various things that, that folks want in, in their career, in their current position. I remember talking to a CRO recently, and they said that as far as they were concerned, a sales leadership, really any form of leadership, is actually really simple. He said, all you need to do is figure out what motivates that person. Give them that motivation and get out of the way. Give them the tools and the motivation to be successful and otherwise get out of the way. Do you kind of chat with that? There's, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. I have a mantra on it. I didn't make it up, but it's managers get people to do what they ought to do. And leaders help people do what they thought not possible. And, you know, I think you can help people do that because, hey, every year it's my quota is impossible, right? I hear that day in and day out. There's things you're always trying to achieve as a, as a company that we need to be able to help people see the light. And can we visualize that? Can we get there? And can we take the barriers away that you know, prevent them from getting there? So I'm curious, you have been in sales leadership for a fair amount of time, okay? And I'm curious what your take on how different things are now and how different they had to become over the last two years, okay, since the COVID-19 pandemic and the fact that, okay... Now, I mean, we're, we're now talking in the sort of spring of 2022, so hopefully it's behind us. But nonetheless, there are some significant changes on how people go about doing business, how much of it is remote versus being in an office, how much of it is traveling to face-to-face -face meetings versus virtual meetings like you and I are having right now. So I'm curious as to how different you feel that makes the role of a salesperson and the role of a sales leader. It does make it more difficult. I think it does change it. It has changed more recently, but it has also changed on a macro basis as well. 
So 20 years ago, it was feet on the street and everybody, you know, was wearing a tie to work. And now, you know, you're going to get flip-flops and shorts and <laughs> in some places and, you know, they're on Zoom calls, right? So it's changed from that perspective. But at the end of the day, it's still, uh, from a sales perspective, you're still building relationships and you have to just find a new way of doing that today's particular environment. And it's, it's volatile from a communications perspective because you used to be able to go meet someone for lunch or have a meeting with them. Corporations on either side won't let you do that anymore until this whole thing settles down. So you have to be innovative and build those connections another way. So it has changed things quite a bit. From a management perspective, it's still pretty much the same. I think 20 years ago, we were meeting more and it has, and you were in the office, less and less people are in the office. It's just really not as much benefit from the sales folks because they're out so much. You know, how much camaraderie really goes on in the office if everybody's really out meeting with folks anyhow. Yeah. So that's changed quite a bit. And in terms of building relationships, you talk about people have to be a bit more innovative in ways that they can go about doing that. What are the things that you've seen work? Oh, gosh, we, we actually get some of the marketing folks involved in that. So you do some really interesting campaigns to try to draw people in because remember, it's pseudo cold calling on some of these things, right? Uh, yeah. And then you have your existing customers. How do you keep them engaged? So everything really, really, we call them lunch and lunch or not, but they're really innovative things that we've done. We've done everything from bringing in comedians to just the standard webinar type things. And then the whole social media aspect of it. But you've got to be out there and be connected. And that's not only on the customer side, but you also have to do that on the inside of it on the sales side because you have to build a, a team camaraderie of sorts, right? I mean, you're not in the office anymore. That's not the case. So even before the pandemic, you do have to have engagements where people can get together, whether it's an SKO or some other event. You still have to have those touch points on a quarterly basis. Right. Okay. With your own team, either you know here at Skyline or further back, how closely have you taken monitoring like metrics, the kind of key data points versus looking at the more kind of softer elements, if you like? I think, you know, I'm a big fan of if you can't measure it, how do you manage it? So I'm keen on the metrics. And I think any sales leader is going to be a keen on, on metrics. So I'm a big fan of a CRM. We use a lot of Salesforce have over the years. And in there, you can put the things that matter. You want to start to see trends before disaster happens. And if you've got folks doing that, then it, you can spot those trends and make adjustments where you need to. It's interesting that when I go into some of these uh, companies and it's expanded opportunity, I do take the sales team into a CRM and we start to run the business out of there. And that's just the way it's going to work. And everything from, you know, forecasting to approvals gets run through Salesforce. And before you know it, the finance folks are saying, well, wait a minute, I want to have that. The development's saying, wait, I want to have that. You want the company driving from one database and one set of data. And the field folks are closest to what the customers are doing and what they're telling us. And, you know, we can spot the trends all the way down to, hey, this, you know, rep has a dearth of forecast six months out, any pipeline. We've got to get a marketing campaign spun up so that we can fill that up. So otherwise we're going to have a problem in six months. But if you don't have good data in there where you can measure that, it's hard to do. So I am big on that part of it. But I try not to make it so onerous that it's painful. It's actually, you try to make it so that it's the place where they like to go to manage the business. So they're not going to a spreadsheet and then to Salesforce and then to a PowerPoint slide deck for the QBRs. I run my QBRs out of Salesforce. There, there are no slides. Wow, that's amazing. We talk about data in terms of having that ability to see so far ahead. So your pipeline gets extended and extended and extended. It's very interesting. 
interesting that some people talk about pipeline and it only goes as far as kind of initial meetings or demos. I've heard people talk about pipelines really start the demo because we're not really interested in what happens before that. But what you're talking about is having a pipeline that goes so far into the future that you can spot the okay, in six months time, this particular sales guy or that region or that product is going to exhaust the leads that are currently being worked on. So we need to do something now. In six months time, there's going to be enough leads for our sales guys to work with. It's extraordinary that you can have that length of vision. If you actually can see the trends and there's obviously the past and the, and the future trends, but if you start to get the rest of the company involved with it as well, we have marketing campaigns. Well, we track those as well. How many of them actually hit the forecast? How many of them you know, actually are pipeline? How many of them actually close? What's the timing between when we ran that campaign and when that deal actually closed? We could start to cherry pick the top campaigns that worked in say the East Coast and deploy that in the West Coast and get that thing filled with a high confidence level that, hey, we're going to be able to backfill that hole we have that we see six months down the road because we have a bunch of data. We know that it's successful and it's driven out of the same database. And then in turn, of course, it means that you can then go to you know, your board and say, I can realistically predict that not just next quarter and the quarter after, maybe a quarter or two after that, this is what our revenue is going to be. And, you know, whether you're working on a SaaS model with MRR already kind of booked and you know that's coming in, but even new business is going to come in. So you can even start to project growth, development, bringing new people and really start to build and scale a business. Absolutely. And every CRO reporting to a CEO and in the board meetings, they love to see that. And if you ever have an event or an equity event or whatever, it's extremely helpful. When I was at ArcSight and we were getting bought by HP, we could turn around answers and half an hour where they were looking at other folks that would take them days to come back. And we had highly, highly granular data that we could turn to, but it was a discipline that we had put in place throughout the whole company. Great stuff. Okay. So if somebody was looking to get into sales leadership or was just embarking on a sales leadership career, they've been a really successful individual contributor and they're now getting into sales leadership. What would your three top tips for success? Wow. Three top tips to success for sales leadership. I think you'd have to understand what the objective is and how you drive to that. And then I think you have to have expectations of people and drive that. And they have to you know, be highly communicated or over-communicate. And then I think you have to really focus on what's the culture that you're, you're developing and help drive that. And those three kind of tie all together as to what you have then as a sales organization. Right. But at a high level, that's what I would focus on. All right, good stuff. So you're currently the VP of global sales at Skyline. So tell me a little bit about Skyline and what technology adoption, utilization, and enablement solutions are. Sure. We provide the capability to shorten your ramp to revenue, right? We ensure customer satisfaction. And we do that with all kinds of things. But I like to say, hey, all roads lead to revenue, right? Everything now is SaaS-based. We're not selling, you know, uh, perpetual licenses anymore with maintenance contracts. Your customer can leave next year, right? Unless you're doing a three-year deal, a five-year deal. And what happens is, you know, that now becomes key because if your renewal rate is not 80% or higher, you are reselling your whole product every five years. That's that's huge, you know, to re have to resell your whole revenue base every five years. So if you think about it, if you're a company that has this product, you want to make sure that that product is deployed and is utilized. And you have a set of partners that want to see the same thing, that it's deployed and utilized. And you have customers that pay for it, that want to make sure it's deployed and utilized. 
So those three tend to work in unison. And we provide the platform for that to happen. And we're able to measure and have metrics associated with it that we can show how that's going where, again, we need to make adjustments. So what's next for Mark Struttner and for Skyline? As a company to evolve and get into new and broader markets. For myself, I want to be part of that team and continue to help help it grow and expand. So we've been around for a while. We're going to continue to be. Great stuff. And if people wanted to learn more about Skyline or in fact, reach out, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? You can go to skyline-ats.com or mstrutner at skyline-ats.com. Great stuff. And we'll make sure we put those and uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Mark Strutner, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Just so people know, I've been trying to get Mark on the conference room for quite some time. He's an extremely busy guy. So finally, I managed to wrestle him to the ground and get him on our schedule. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the conference room. It's been an absolute privilege having you in here. My pleasure as always, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to the founder and CEO of Polypay, Jamie Barlett. So learning competitiveness definitely did there. But I think too, when you look at a solution, I know a lot of people like to do that differentiation between women and men. And very much, I know that that's a way to put people in buckets. I just believe in more of a meritocracy. It's whoever is best for the job, really, at the end of the day. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking.